Hi and welcome to a new episode of Joy Within Podcast. I'm Indra Denise and today we have a special guest who will be leading a quarterly series right here. It's called Mindset Refresh. Joanne Nichols is a clinician and researcher joining us from the U.S. I'm excited to hear and learn through her expertise on the brain and behavior. And when you have a moment, there's also a blog post from a review from one of her workshops that I went to. So you can check that out on the blog after this podcast or when you have a moment. Joanne's insight is going to shed some light on how we think, why we think the way we do, And she's also going to equip us with some techniques on how to understand and overcome pain in order to invite peace into our thoughts and lives. Welcome, Joanne. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Andrew. It's such a pleasure. It's so so awesome to be here. I'm really excited um, about embarking on this project with you and I'm looking looking forward, it may be a little selfish, but I'm looking forward to being able to put a lot of these strategies into in place for myself. <laughs> yeah, we're all here to encourage each other. Absolutely. That that's so true. It's mm-hmm. so true. So um I can get started if you'd like. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. So I I thought a lot about where we're going to start as we embark on this journey of mindset refresh and I think the most appropriate place to start is what stops us, what tensions in life stop us from resting and relaxing and being refreshed. You know, we, we all have these, these tensions that, that basically cause us to resist being able to let everything go. And it's very hard, you know, to let that, to let those things go. A lot of people will say, Oh, we'll just forget about it or just move past that or don't, don't, don't foster on it or, you know, think positively. And you get, we get a lot of very quick and, and what seems to be quick and easy recommendations on how to handle stress and tension and get to a place of peace and relaxation. But honestly, they, they, they really work. We, we go through a, a challenge within ourselves, a process within ourselves before we can get to a place of relaxation. So I wanted to unpack that a little bit. As you said, sometimes it's helpful for someone to explain what's happening in order for you to gain another perspective on it and then empower you to be able to approach it and and have a a strategy in hand to manage it. So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, just pain and and fear and anxiety, those three things. I wanted to start with that. Those are, those are big topics, but it's, I think we can kind of manage that today and, and set ourselves on a path for future episodes. And the goal is to explain um, the difference between what we would call in a clinical environment acute pain, which is very severe and harsh and sharp, sharp, kind of like a trauma, something that's unexpected, maybe a sudden death of someone or, you know, bad news, bad health out, you know, news that you didn't expect to get and chronic pain, which is more like an ongoing thing that is not seeming to go away, whether it's dealing with financial stressors that are long lasting or dealing with a problem child that's long lasting, facing um, a problem at work or a boss that's long lasting, things that are not so easily um, resolved and and they tend to have um, 
a little bit of a lifeline. Um, so I wanted to talk about those two things and, and how we manage it. So I will premise by saying that I, I am a Christian. I am, um, I am a clinical psychologist, but I'm also a Christian. So a lot of what I refer to are the principles, biblical principles that I think are applicable to life. And, and they bring us to a place of truth and, and give us strategies and patterns that we, we call them principles and patterns that we can rely upon uh, to help us, help us through. So just going back and, and talking about the difference between acute pain and chronic pain. So I gave a brief definition. Um, acute pain, again, as I said, is severe and sharp and harsh. Um, it, it lasts for a short period of time. And typically when we go through something like that, we may, we may freeze for a little bit, but we go, we go very quickly into what's my plan of action how am I going to handle this? Or, or we, we may run away from it. Those, those two things, we experience a fight or a flight response is what we call it in, in a clinical setting. So that usually, you know, helps us get through the immediate threat, the immediate concern. Um, but then there's the things in life that don't seem to go away very quickly, the chronic pain, they're lasting and they're numbing and they're dulling. And Usually chronic situations, chronic pain is what leads us to longstanding depression and feelings of anxiety and feeling hopeless. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that today. Again, talking about acute chronic pain. So the Bible talks about that women, we, and if you've had a child before, that women, um, that childbearing, you know, the Bible says that he said that I will make your pain in childbearing very severe with painful labor. You will give birth to children. And that's interesting. That's found in Genesis 3, Genesis 3, 16. Um, where God says that, well, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe and with painful labor, you will give birth to children. And that doesn't sound comfortable, but in, in doing some research and, and looking at clinical research on fear, pain, and anxiety, researchers have found that those severe painful episodes usually lead to long lasting survival. They make us resilient and good things come out of them. And so it's it's interesting to be able to have that analogy of child of childbirth. Um, a lot of us who have had multiple children, people will say, you know, don't you remember what happened? Don't you remember the pain? And you do for a period, but you don't you don't hold on to it, and it doesn't often deter you from having more children. The next time you become pregnant, you don't go, oh my gosh, I absolutely am not doing this. You still embrace the idea that a brief moment of pain will bring forth life and abundant life. And so there is this strengthening and resilience that comes out of us naturally when we are in these quick kind of pressing periods where we have heightened awareness and, and heightened strength and heightened capacity. Um, a lot of people who have been through very traumatic situation that required them to stand, you know, to kind of step into that fight response. For me, um, I was not in actively involved, but a little bit involved. I was in one of the subways during 9-11. The train stopped under one of the towers and 
hundreds of people just rose into this place of, you know, we need to act, we need to get out of here, we need to make sure that we exit, we need to make sure that our neighbors are safe. And, and so you nat- naturally go into this place of fighting for your survival. And, and that's healthy, and, and you find strength that you didn't know you had. But then there are, as I mentioned, there are situations where that pain, that threat is going on for a long time. So it could be unemployment. It could be a household where there's no peace. There's like a marriage where there's a lot of conflict or a child that's, you know, challenging the parent consistently or a boss that's, you know, you're not finding any grace with. And you're trying multiple strategies and things are not changing. So even though you may be stepping, you know, the first time it happens, you may step into this, okay, I'm going to overcome when you don't have the outcome and that you expected when you added more, you know, more fight to it and you feel defeated and it goes on for a long time. What do you do? And that's what I want to talk about a little bit today, um, giving strategies for dealing with long lasting pain. And I want to premise that, with another Bible uh, story. It's a prayer, actually, that piggybacks on, on, on childbirth. So the first one I read mentioned, you know, God saying that women will have pain in their childbearing. And so then we, we have this very short story of Jabez in the Bible and in First Chronicles 4, uh, 4, 9, and 10, where it says that this, this, this man was more honorable than all of his brothers. He was definitely a note, noteworthy man, but his name, his name came from the pain that his mother had in bearing him. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. And so his mother was recounting how difficult and how painful that, that process was. But again, remember what I was saying about it being acute. It lasted for a little while and out of it came this honorable man. But the flip side of that was Jabet knew in his mind that he came out of a process that was painful and he didn't want that to be a long lasting memory on him. And he didn't want it to, to kind of, cast a a dark cloud over his future. So he prayed and he said, God of Israel, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory and you would let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I may be free from pain. And God granted him his request. And we hear that, not so powerful, but basically what Jabez was saying was, I understand that I came out of a moment but I'm asking you for a lifetime free of that. I understand that I came out of acute pain, but just because I came out of acute pain doesn't mean that I need doesn't mean that I need to live in chronic pain. And that's what I want to focus on today. A lot of times we go through something that stopped us in our tracks and knocked the wind out of us, and we're assuming that that means that life is always going to be this way. It's not. It's not going to be this way. And the fact that we have these things documented in the Bible means it's very human to think, is this going to be the pattern of my life? And God is showing us, you know, he's giving us these stories that say, you can pray and say, no, God, actually, I don't want long lasting pain. I want you to expand and bless 
and give me a life free of harm and free of pain and that God is very willing and able to grant that. So that's the foundation of, of where we're going. We're talking about kind of how we manage threat and manage pain and, and manage anxiety. So now I wanted to step a little bit into strategies. Actually, before we talk about strategies, let's talk about how we get to being fearful, how we get to a place of anxiety where we get stuck. Just to recap, we talked about the difference between acute and chronic pain. And now we're going to talk about how we manage acute and chronic pain. So again, acute pain, our bodies normally respond in a fight or flight response. We don't have to think much about it. But chronic pain, we have an opportunity to think about how we're going to address it, how we're going to respond. So one of the studies I've read over the years in studying this talked about a patient who had MS, and so they, it, was a, it was a lifetime of, of having muscular pain, and, and yet they wrote a book, they wrote kind of a, a self kind of record of, of their life, and they used the word pain twice in the entire book. They only mentioned the word pain twice. And they were wheelchair bound, couldn't live without assistance, but married three times had three marriages and and multiple children. And how did they get to that place? How did they live a life despite being, you know, in our minds, wrought with physical pain, not having the luxury of just getting up and even going to the bathroom independently? How would a person get to a place where they can write a documentary where they only use the word pain twice? And and we were told that there were two things that they did. One, they lived in a no fear space, which meant they didn't catastrophize. And as I read that, I said, well, what does that mean to not catastrophize? And so I looked it up. I just looked for a very simple definition. Catastrophizing is an irrational thought that a lot of us have in believing that something is far worse than it actually is. Catastrophizing can generally take two different forms. It can be making a catastrophe out of a current situation and imagining making a catastrophe out of a future situation. So that's powerful. Catastrophizing speaks to your present and it speaks to your future. I think it's important to sit in that for a little while and and turn that into an exercise. We can all think of something, you know, that we're going through right now, something in the workplace, something related to our health, something related to ourselves, our boss, our children, something that we're facing. And we have the option to look at that situation and consider it far worse than it actually is in the present, and then even take it even further and imagine it getting worse in the future. And choosing to have a no-fear response is really the stopgap in living in a place of fear. The truth of the matter is it's very hard when you're, when you're living within your own capacity to do that. But if we take a moment and we step outside of ourselves and we think of a, a God that's greater than us, then it makes it a little bit easier. So I'm going to introduce another Bible story that shows this at work. So in keeping with the theme of childbearing, the Bible says that, you know, back in, again, the Old Testament, after the death of Joshua, that the Israelites were getting, I mean, they were, they were powerful, they were strong, they were gaining in, in number and, 
And Pharaoh was really upset about that. And the Bible says that the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, there were two of them at the time, and he said, when you are helping these Hebrew women during childbirth and delivery, if you see that it's a boy, I want you to kill them. But if it's a girl, let them live. Now, this was their job. And this was their king. And this was the mandate that they had. They had a mandate to kill, you know, the children of the, of the women that they were helping. So imagine being in a birthing room and people, you know, it's, emotions are high and people are in pain and everyone is, you know, tensions are high. And you know that your mandate is to commit murder after this child comes. How more painful or fearful can it get? That's a high emotional response. But what was their response? The Bible says that they just decided that they would not harm. They feared God and they decided that they would not do the boys harm. And God was kind to them. So they settled in their mind what their response was going to be. They were settled in their mind that they were going to have a no fear response. And so that's strategy one. Oftentimes we recommend that individuals write things down and make, make declarations over it. And so my recommendation is when you're facing something that you have the potential to catastrophize, you write it down and you write a declaration statement about that thing, about how you will respond regardless of how it feels, regardless of what other people think or say, you write a response down that is aligned with your principles and patterns. And for me, my principles and patterns that I align myself with are the Bible. And that's what the Bible says these midwives did. They feared God and they decided that no matter what, they weren't going to kill these babies. So that, that for me is step one. And, and that's definitely a first step that you can you can look you can look towards or look to or try to apply. The second step is apart from not having a fair response, we also look to not letting anxiety overwhelm us. This strategy is a, is outside of the line of of childbirth. We're going to step outside of that for a little bit and there's a story another story in the, in the New Testament now we're going to journey over there where Paul is, is sailing with a group of, of men. He's basically getting a ride um, to a, another island. And they face tremendous, um, just, you know, um, the seas are rough and they're facing, you know, being shipwrecked and, mm-hmm. and everyone's up in arms and they're facing death. Mm-hmm. And Paul looks at them and he said, I urge you now to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. And he had that confidence because he said, last night an angel from God, whom I belong to and who I serve, told me, Paul, do not be afraid. You must stand trial. So he, he basically had something that he needed to do. And so he knew he needed to make land. But the, the most important part of this in Acts 27, um, 21 to 26, and I'll read it again, was essentially Paul told them, but now I urge you to keep your courage because none of you will be lost. Managing anxiety means going to that future place assuring yourself that it will be well and being able to take that assurance into the present. 
So there is some future projection and imagining and hope that has to be applied to manage your anxiety. And this is, this is very practical. So FAIR, as I said, the strategy for that is being able to establish what your response will be and writing that down. But anxiety, managing that means being able to project, kind of catapult yourself into the future and decide that it will be well and to bring that assurance from the future into your present. Mm. Those are two powerful, powerful strategies. And for us, that's what faith looks like. Yes. That's what faith looks like. It it means being able to do that through every, you know, from through every test. You journey to the future, you pull that piece, you bring it into the present, all the while you're making declarations about how you will respond mm-hmm. and you commit to that response based on the truth that you know. Yes. Standing on heavenly promises. Yes. Standing on heavenly promises. Yes. Oh, that is um, so rich. Okay, I would love your insight into something. I'm sure that they were um, around and existing for quite some time, but it seems like recently, at least in the recent years, there's like a prevalence of things like anxiety and depression and affecting um, children, teens, adults, um, several women. So I'm wondering if um, it's something about the Western rhythm of life, stress level, technological influence. Can you share some insight on that, please? And thanks. I think two things have caused it. They're the danger of knowledge without wisdom leads to, leads to things and terms being applied loosely and and too frequently and so obviously fear and anxiety list you know existed from biblical days because the bible addresses it so it's not the bible talks about why so downcast oh my soul lift up your countenance and look to your god so it's not that these things were not did not exist but what i find is happening is we are stating them but we're not stating what is the response and the correction and the the antidote to those things so we we're talking about them but that's not the full story there's always a but there's always a however there's always a this thing ends so it's all it's all it's actually it's actually very um interesting that you asked that question and we're talking about it in this context because i would say now in this just as a result of this conversation and what we're talking about what i think is happening is something that was supposed to be acute is being presented as chronic so it's okay to have a moment of depression. It's okay to have a moment of anxiety. It's okay to have a moment of fear, but it's never God's intention for that thing to carry on for months and years because he's provided an answer for it. So he doesn't want you to deny the presence of it or deny the the fact that you're feeling it. But if there is a medication meaning a spiritual medication for it if there is a spiritual response that addresses it the intention is 
you would have that thing addressed and healed. And that's a choice many times. Yes, and you're so right because told us to lean on him for a reason and do not be anxious. I remember as a teen going through some challenges where um, I wasn't emotionally mature to even understand them to the point of like just wanting to check out. And it was, it was like a cloud over my heart. And I remember that it took quite a few years, but that I actually had to make a conscious decision when I realized how much of my life and joy and time that this was gobbling up. And I was almost like wearing that cloud like uh, a blankie, like a security blanket until it became so, so much a part of my existence. It's almost like a second skin. And I just remember that I, I had to literally make a decision. Now, obviously, there are very many people who are um, suffering from medically diagnosed depression. So that that's a, a completely different level. But I can really identify with what you're sharing about declaring truth over your life and not embracing anything that we grow through as a permanent state of being. But those words, um, stress, anxiety, and depression, I find that they're popping up a lot um, among women. And I'm not sure if in any way it's related to um, women and business in particular, since there is more of a surge of women with business and now more of a prevalence with women coping or trying to overcome anxiety and stress and depression. I'm wondering if there's a connection. Um, forgive me if I'm wrong, but please shine some light on this. It's, it's so interesting. A couple of things that you just said, when you talked about wearing it and painting it on and then rolling that into women and our emotionality in in the workplace and and how we deal with fear and anxiety and and stress in in the workplace and unfortunately it's very common um where you are in the boardroom and it depends well it, it really depends i guess on your field but for me, I know that I, I, my, my boardroom is predominantly women. You know, there's almost like a one to three ratio of men to women um, in leadership positions where I'm currently at. And you do see a high level of emotionality as women are trying to manage the workplace and home and children and themselves. And the absence of grace and patience thinking that those things are not part of being a professional. You have to be very aggressive. And in order for you to get your outcome measures, you have to put strong deadlines and you have to behave in a way that is um, obtrusive or harmful or critical to put people in places of fear and anxiety to get an end result. And so that, that imposition of fear and anxiety on others, that imposition of forced threat on others, for many makes it hard to recover and to be in a state of rest and mental health. And that's why you have to be a little bit more intentional about these strategies when you know that you are in the environment of people that 
purposefully introduce threat. Mm -hmm. So I've been talking about it from the perspective of, you know, this is how you can manage what seems to arise in you. But the truth of the matter is a lot of people are in situations where they're being attacked. Mm -hmm. They're being attacked by people who are dealing with their own fears and their own anxieties. And so their response is to, in order for me to manage my poor state of mental health, I try to, you know, impose that negativity on you. And again, I, I'll, I'll say it again, it's so important to be able to know what your truth is and to write those things down and to have those things as immovable kind of landmarks in your heart, your mind, your conviction and your peace. And it may come down to actually being in the workplace at your desk rehearsing what your truth is in the midst of threat. And, and if we, if we want to parallel it to what we just talked about, the midwives, they were in their place of work and the threat was high, yes. but yet they, 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 stay, they stayed committed to what their response would be. And that's when you do it and you trust that the God of your, God of your salvation is going to pull you through. He's going to ultimately fight battles that you can't fight. So there's going to be a lot of temptation to give into the fear. There's going to be a lot of temptation to give into the anxiety. There will be a lot of people in your environment who will project that they have more power than they actually do. And it, it reminds me of another scripture in Isaiah where God is telling um, his people, though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. And those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to know. We need to know that even though they wage war, that their actual blow will be as nothing mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. It will have no power. Mm -hmm. And that's our truth. In closing, what little tidbits or techniques can you share for us to remember when the smell of stress comes around to declare truth over our life, when stress intervenes to mend that thought tissue that might have been damaged through any situations or traumatic encounters that we might have um, experienced? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I strongly recommend journaling. And I strongly recommend assessment and putting those two things together. We have to write down our triggers. We have to identify those situations, people sometimes, fears that will likely trigger us into a response that's not healthy, that will lead to fear or anxiety. Write them down. And after you write them down, find either i i recommend a scripture because it's truth is based in truth a scripture or a position a principle that responds to that thing but you do have to write it down i feel it's important to add that at times we we don't tell ourselves the truth and so if you've got a partner or a close friend who can kind of call you out on on your stuff <laughs> It's important to maybe have that, that person that you trust say, you know, I noticed when we talk about X, Y, or Z, 
it it solicits a, a response in you where you're you're worried or or tense so if you have someone that you feel that you can have that conversation with you do that after writing it down write down your decision on how you plan to respond to that thing and we have iPhones now some people like to you know do that or they have a notebook but i would recommend carrying that decision around with you and in moments of tension in moments of challenge revisit your notes remind yourself how you decided to respond what is your truth and quietly announce those things to yourself rehearse those things to yourself don't you know you're not doing it in a judgment you're you're using those words as comfort i i remember doing a study once that said you have to take it's a, it was a Christian study. You have to take the word of God like you would take medication given to you from the pharmacist. If you were suffering migraines, so we'll use that as an example. If you were suffering with a migraine and you went to the doctor and the doctor said, I need you to take this three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner until you have resolution. You trust that taking it three times a day for that period till it's all gone would work. And so the same thing comes with the Bible. You take it. You take it routinely, frequently, you digest it, you meditate on it, you metabolize it until it produces the fruit, the outcome, the reworking. So, and I say this very intentionally, there's a lot of buzz going on, talk about, you know, using fancy words like neuroplasticity, mm -hmm. which is like re rewiring and new cognitive strategies. Those things are great. They are true, but I will tell you the intention that's required for them to work is, is real, which means you have to chew on that thought. You have to rehearse and practice it. It has to become new cells in you. How does something become new if you don't metabolize it? How does the fruit, you know, the food that you eat actually produce energy unless you complete it it's got to get down to a cellular level from from the plate that that you're eating it from and so in order for strategies to work out change in your biological um, framework then you're going to have to digest this stuff you're going to have to chew on it and eat it day by day morning by morning and the, the ironic thing is this is not brand new the bible says get up and seek the face of the Lord every morning. It says, you know, hunger after him like it's your first bread. And so it sounds very fancy when it comes from a scientific platform, but the basic, you know, the basic principle behind this is he was, his word was meant to be digested so that it could renew our minds daily. Yes, yes. That, that was the point of why he gave it to us and and so that's where our health is coming from mm -hmm. um also the, the one of the key things and this is a popular one the bible says do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition and i want to focus on the anything and in every situation mm -hmm. we seem to think at times that there's some exclusive stuff nothing is exclusive with god he gives us a blanket commandment not to be anxious about anything but he's not insensitive he says pray about 
everything. Mm-hmm. So there are times where I'm going into the meeting, a meeting, and the last time I spoke to that person, they were aggressive or they were unkind. And I'll say, God, that person injured me last time. And I want to lay that before you. And I want our next encounter to be better. I want to, or I just want you to heal me from the injury that I felt that they inflicted upon me. Or tell me the truth, God, did they actually injure me or do I just feel that way? <laughs> did I catastrophize it, right? And, and you have to be able to call yourself. I, I tend to catastrophize a lot. So <laughs> you're not alone. <laughs> or sometimes it is, uh, how can you use me to show your love in a situation where it is, it is, it is needed? Yes. That's the real test. I can't do it in and of myself. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So praying that out and not rushing yourself. And, and this is a key thing, especially for women. We take on a lot. We cook, we clean, we go to work. We're, we're either equal or more than in terms of breadwinners in our household. We have multiple children, multiple schedules, multiple responsibilities, and we rush prayer. We rush meditation, and we don't need to do that. We need to process every little feeling, every little emotion. We need to lay it out flat before God and have the Holy Spirit walk over everything and and bring us into places of accuracy. And the beautiful thing is that he's so patient and very willing to do that if if we allow it. Yeah. So those are those are my two recommendations that you 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 recognize your triggers, you document them, you make statements of declaration, and you then rehearse those things in your prayer and meditation time throughout the day. And the promise that we have is that when we do that, we will have peace that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) Surpasses all understanding. (laughs) You will have peace that does not make any sense and our hearts and our minds will be guarded. And that to me is an excellent summation about mental health. Where does mental health hit? It hits the heart and it hits the mind. Mental illness hits the heart and it hits the mind. Those are the two places where you need to be fortified in your heart and in your mind. Well, this has been a wonderful and educational conversation with Joanne Nichols, who led this segment, this new segment on Joy Within podcast called Mindset Refresh. I hope you all enjoyed it and learned through it as much as I did or even more. Thanks for tuning in and joining the joy journey. Have a wonderful rest of the day. And thanks again to our featured guest and host, Joanne, for joining us for Mindset Refresh.